Welcome to the Automotive Diagnostic Podcast. We're going to explore ways to sharpen our diagnostic skills, find learning resources, and hear from experts in the automotive field. Hey, what's going on, automotive world? Welcome to another episode of the Automotive Diagnostic Podcast. My name is Sean Tipping, and I will be your host once again for this week's episode. Joining me on the show this week, I've got two special guests, uh, very good friends of mine I've known for a long time, uh, since high school, Joe Christofferson, who works for AutoZone locally here in the Twin Cities, Minnesota. He's a territory sales manager. And Steve Hobble, another friend of mine, who actually has recently come on board as an employee for ST Mobile. Uh, he's got his own van. He's doing the programming and diagnostic thing with me as of the last month or so. Um, so I thought it'd be kind of cool to sit down uh, with Joe and Steve because, again, we've known each other for a long time, but we all ended up in the automotive industry in one way or another. Steve and I have both been technicians for a period of time. Now we're both doing the mobile thing. Uh, Joe has been with AutoZone for quite some time and climbing the ranks there. And I thought we could kind of share our experiences getting to where we're at, share some stories, just have a good time, uh, chat about <laughs> different things we've experienced. Uh, we'll talk about parts shortages and the struggles uh, you know, that we see it from the technician perspective and the parts supplier perspective. Uh, we'll talk about young people getting into the industry, safety, pay, all kinds of stuff. Uh, it's a good time. Uh, always good hanging out with these guys, and I'm glad I can share it with the listeners here. But before we get into the episode, uh, I just want to remind everybody, uh, today is the 26th of February, 2023. In just a few days here, uh, we'll be down in Vision uh, in Kansas City. Uh, March 1st, I think, is the first day. I'm driving down Wednesday. So anyways, if you're at Vision this upcoming week, come find me, come say hi. Love to chat with anybody. I won't be recording a podcast, but that doesn't mean I can't uh, get to know everybody, have some good conversations, and uh, maybe it'll lead to something in the future as far as the podcast goes. But anyways, hopefully we'll see you down there at Vision. But with that out of the way, let's jump in. All right. Welcome, gentlemen. How's it going? Fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> Glad to have you guys on the podcast. Um, I'm creeping up on 200 episodes and I've had a lot of different people on, but I don't think I've had people on that I know or I have known as long as the two of you. Um, I mean, it's over 20 years. Over, yes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and you two even longer, right? Yeah. Back sixth grade right here. Hold on. Um, up on 30 years, 28 years. Holy shit. Yeah. We go back to sixth yeah, grade. 10, 10, <laughs> 10 years old, basically. The only person I've known just as long as Steve is Josh. And I don't talk to Josh anymore. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So, well, what I thought would be cool is obviously we're pretty good friends, but um, also we've all, or we are all in the automotive industry in one way or another. Um <laughs> My, my dog's joining the podcast here too. Um, Joel, you are 
what is it, area manager, district manager of AutoZone? What's Territory the title? Territory sales manager. Territory sales manager of AutoZone. And uh, Steve, you've been in the industry um, as a technician for quite some time, and now you're an uh, employee of ST Mobile. Um, but we all have been in the auto industry for quite some time. We all started out in high school. I think we all took uh, Mr. Plumley's. Oh, yeah, auto shop. Yep, I yep. remember. And um, I'll took it from there. I, I know we all worked together at the Sinclair station. Did we all work there at the same time? Or? No, no, I was he just after job. him. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah, Steve stole my job from me. Well, you got fired first, so, you know. I didn't get fired per se. I was given an option, either come back on Monday with a better attitude or don't come back. And I said, that's great. I'll never <laughs> see you again. Well, I got fired, so... <laughs> Well, um, it's not fired when your boss goes missing, Steve. And you both worked at Tires Plus in the same town. Did you work there We'd, together or at the same time? No, nope. me and okay. Mike worked there together, though. That was a fun time. Okay. Yeah, I was Steve years came later. after. Gotcha. Um, and then you worked with me at Firestone for a yep. little while. Yep, that um, was a terrible mistake. <laughs> how long were you at Firestone? Because you got transferred at one point or another. But... You mean transfired. <laughs> That's right, yes. yeah. Let's put you in the farthest <laughs> away store possible so that you quit. That was their, that was their move for and some it people. it didn't even work for them. That's the best part. <laughs> well, yeah, didn't you start making more hours and doing better at that other store? Yeah, at Sunray. Okay. Yeah, and they didn't want me to leave, so. But uh, it was choosing between buying tools uh-huh. or not paying student loans to buy tools. Well, that's, so that's actually interesting. You know, me and Steve, we went to the same tech school in order to get into automotive. Um, But you took kind of a different path to get where you're at now. Yeah. I don't know how much you want to share, but it's interesting, you know, what you went to school for, what you're doing now. Well, basically I'm the youngest of three kids and my older siblings never went to college or they didn't finish college. So my dad told me I had to go and I wanted to be a mechanic, but I'm 6'3 and heavy, so my body would degrade faster than your guys'. <laughs> what are you talking about? You get the engines and trannies all day long. Actually, I was most fit when I was working at Tires Plus. So <clears throat> Sure. But yeah, no, I, so I went to school for video game design because a friend of ours told, a, told me to, and then he <laughs> dipped out before graduating and joined the Army. You know who you are. <laughs> And then I just finished, and then my college closed down. So I basically have a worthless degree that cost $111,000. Woo. Damn. Yeah. So it was either pay the $111,000 or buy tools. Can't do both. Gotcha. So I decided to retire from the world of fixing cars and go into the world of selling auto parts. Yeah, how long have you been at AutoZone now? Over 10 years as of December. Wow. Yep. What do you think of that side of things as a whole, working it's, on the part side? It's a much different world than being in a shop. Like, huh. you get to see so much more about what goes on. And the difference between what people think we can control and what we actually control and do. When you say people, you mean like, like customers? DIY or shops? Is there a difference between the two? Uh I mean, yes, DIY customers, usually if you make one angry, you'll probably not see them for a while. But you make a shop angry, you got to talk to them 10 times a day. Mm. So you got to be careful and more who, wary of who would how you, you rather deal piss with. Because so. you, you do the commercial side of things. I mean, who would you rather deal with as far as just the general public or shops? 
Now that's a complicated question because I can do both. And yeah. quite frankly, I enjoyed the general public more because of what I said. If you piss someone off, you may not see him again. But if you do provide really good service to someone who's respectful of you, then yes, you will get a customer who will keep coming back and they'll keep talking to you because of your knowledge and your skills. Yeah. But then the shops, you know, the, the flip side is every time they get a part and it breaks prematurely, it's always your fault because we sit in the back room of our store and we wind coils for alternators right there. <laughs> totally. We have all that right back there in that little area. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure, Steve, you can relate to this. The the thing with aftermarket electrical components or computers or whatever, it's like, uh, it's aftermarket. It's probably going, there's probably going to be an issue with it. And that there's, that's backed up by facts of putting stuff in cars and it's not working. But you as a part salesman, again, you're not building these things. You're just, you're, you're the medium you're selling these. I mean, what's that like uh, for you to deal with maybe a subpar part going out and then somebody being pissed off about it? It's always a hassle. Yeah. It's always literally a hassle. Like, how many times, Steve, has the power steering hose gone out on my Pontiac? Almost once a year. Yeah, once a year for five years. Every winter. And that's an aftermarket? That's an aftermarket part. Okay. And see, now, if you were to go to any auto parts store and say, I need a power steering hose, they're only going to offer you one kind. Mm Mm-hmm. No other manufacturers really make them. And some stores make hoses, but then they tell you, oh, sorry, our hose guy's out today. We can't do that. Okay. But, or find any excuse under the sun not to make a hose. Uh But now they finally offered a cold weather option. So I bought that and put it in and then I sold my car (laughs) and told him good luck with that one. Because didn't you guys, do you, you both helped me with my Cavalier that I drove for 13 years. Mm -hmm. How many times do we do the power steering hose on that? For sure. Yeah. At least four or five. Yep. Forty below days should nope. take a toll on the power around here. <laughs> Not once did I ever complain to like my manager or my boss, like, "Hey, you owe me money for all ten times I had to replace this hose." Yeah, but every single day, doesn't matter if you're in the shop side of things or if you're the do-it-yourselfer, you're always going to get people that are like, "You owe me for my time that I wasted putting in your part." Well. And now you're depending on who you talk to. You got your DIY people who are not technically trained or qualified. They're just going off their own experience or YouTube. Mm-hmm. They want money back because they're the part failed. Well, did you put it in right? Mm-hmm. Well, why should I have to torque down a wheel bearing? That's mm-hmm. the question I hear all the time. Why does it matter? Mm-hmm. It, it's a bearing. It's a precision part. It's a precision part. Yeah. Well, if it has those warnings in the box, I think that's pretty good, you know, default to go to is, hey, it says to do it right here. And there are examples of when I used to do commercial in in a store level Mm -hmm. that shops would be like, yeah, I got a torque wrench right here. Unga dunga. Yeah. It's like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. (laughs) No, not once. Um. I mean, okay, so you guys do offer uh, warranty claims, though, for shops, though, right? Yes. It's- uh, how do you uh, separate something, a situation where, uh, let me give you a scenario. So I'm trying to fix a car. I'm trying to figure out what's wrong. I'm ordering a mass airflow sensor. I put it on there because I think it's going to fix a problem. It doesn't. It doesn't change anything. Mm-hmm. And then I try to send that part back. Now- I definitely shouldn't try to get any type of war- labor claim for that. That that was my bad. I mean, number one, do you take the part back from a shop in that situation? Or do you have people asking for labor claims on things like that? Oh, yeah, all the time. Okay. Um, and it always comes down to, well, it didn't fix the problem. Uh-huh. But 
you got to kind of remember, you, you know, you can ask certain questions to kind of figure out what's going on. Like, okay. How did you diagnose this problem? Sure. Did you just hook up a scanner and it said both your O2 sensors are bad uh-huh. and you figured, well, that's all oh, two O2 sensors. It's gotta be mass airflow. Okay. Couldn't possibly be anything else. Uh-huh. Nothing else in the world could cause that. Yeah. That's what it's like dealing with that. Okay. So if a person is honest and says, Hey, I put this part on, it didn't work. Can I return it? Mm-hmm. Most of the time I'll say, yeah, sure. Why not? Okay. But if they're going to say, Hey, this part, I put it on, it didn't work. Uh, found out it was an oxygen sensor. So you're going to have to pay me for putting that part on and taking it back off. Yeah. That's going to be a no. Okay. Most likely. Okay. And everything is handled by employees. So if you got someone who doesn't know anything about cars, you're talking about at the parts store. Yes. The front counter people. Yes. Okay. That makes things a little more difficult. That's why it's hard to get good help some days. Sure. Well, I mean, you probably have like a policy procedure yes. in place, but yeah, somebody who doesn't really know the car side of things is going to struggle in that, yeah, especially if they're dealing with somebody who does know something about the car side of things. Yep. And that's one of our big selling points too, is we sell advice and it's always free. Okay. So giving people advice too on how to fix these problems or chase down your mass airflow sensor, oxygen sensor problems. Uh-huh. I mean, it could be uh, someone who knows a lot about cars. Maybe they're right. Or it could be some kid out of high school that doesn't sure. teach automotive anymore that's going, yeah, just replace your, your mass airflow. Uh-huh. Do, you, uh, do you guys do the free code scans and yep. stuff there? Is, so as a technician, <laughs> we usually dislike He's that. He's smiling. He's smiling. <laughs> we usually dislike that because yes. we've got the person who got the free code scan and the guy at AutoZone's like, well, yeah, it's a code for an oxygen sensor. They so, put an oxygen sensor on there. This, AutoZone said yeah. this can all be alleviated by. And they cleared all the codes out, so I have no information. But this, this whole thing could have been alleviated by proper training. Okay. When I, for example... Sean, you come into AutoZone mm-hmm. and you say, my check engine light's on, bro. What do I do? Mm-hmm. And we go out there, scan it, come back, and it says, we suggest mm-hmm. you start with this part based off of how many cases have been reported to have this as its fix. You guys have a database that you yes. reference? Okay. So they, they, what the, the thing is, is because we're dra- trying to draw more traffic in, sure. they'll say, like, our experts say it's this. Mm-hmm. But it's just a database. Mm-hmm. So the most likely solution to your multiple misfire is going to be coils or wires or spark plugs. It could be other reasons. Right. Well, that's that's the problem is a general code like that, like a 300, a P0300 or a communication code. There's a hundred possibilities for why that might be there. So that's, I would think, tough to sell a part for, but we see it, you know. And I'll see it all the time. And now we're going back into a circle now. Mm-hmm. I put plugs on or plug wires on because your computer told me I needed them yeah. and that didn't fix the problem. Right, right, right. So what the training part comes down to is this is what we suggest you start with. Mm-hmm. And when I tell a customer that they have a random misfire, I say I would start with the spark plugs. Mm-hmm. Then I would do the wires if it has them mm-hmm. or boots. Yeah. And then the coils because we're starting with the least expensive fix and moving our way up to the more expensive fix. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to tell you to buy all six coils right now and spend $400 and 
Hopefully that fixes the problem. Mm-hmm. No, start with the plugs. Well, you just take that shotgun approach and <laughs> we'll just load up the cannon yeah, and fire. Exactly. <laughs> you know what? You know what? Sometimes we do suggest buy all three options and return what you don't need. Okay. Okay. I was, uh, I was, fair. I was talking to somebody recently who said, he's like, yeah, I opened up the hood and it looked like AutoZone threw up under there. <laughs> <laughs> well, and see, like some people really take to heart the advice they get. Sure. Well, they want, it's free. And so they're going to, they're going to latch onto that because they're trying to spend as little money as possible yeah. to fix their vehicle. And a lot of the things like I sell would be the easiest thing to the way to sell a part is if you know, it's a problem. Mm-hmm. I know remanufactured alternators for early 2000 Fords did not like aftermarket voltage regulators. Mm-hmm. If you got one out of the box and it didn't say motorcraft on that voltage regulator, you're most likely going to have a problem. Mm-hmm. Why do I know that? You've had a lot of returns. I've had a lot yeah. of returns. Yeah. And it's always the ones that don't say motorcraft. Sure. No, and I know a lot of other examples. Alternators definitely seems to be one of them. Uh, Mini Cooper um, at a shop recently, they did two of them aftermarket. And although it was charging, it wasn't sending the message to the PCM to turn the warning message off. So they, you know, I was like, hey, yeah, sorry. Because they called me in twice to diagnose it. And I'm like, it's right. You got to get, you got to get an OE. You got to get something good. Um, and so that's where I would feel if I was selling parts would be difficult because you don't control that you don't even make that voltage regulator, mm-hmm. but you're selling it to a customer and they bring it back and you're just like, hmm, what, what do you do? You know? Yep. <laughs> um, and then, you know, sometimes parts get damaged in transit. Sure. Oh we're, yeah. We're getting sure. them delivered off 53 foot truck tractor trailers coming up from out of state. Yep. And you've got the Amazon uh, warehouse employees throwing coils and alternators into a giant cage. Mm hmm. And then oh, just sending it down the line and people are literally just tossing parts in on top of each other. Yep. yep. That's the best way to transport that many parts at once. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause I can remember getting brake rotors where the box looks like it had been just like dropped on the floor oh, 10 yeah. times. And, yeah. Oh, yeah. oh yeah. Here, this one won't, it's not warped. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. Just, just drive it. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. I see you're worrying about it. I was a little worried. Cause I was the one that had to take it back apart when it wasn't right. It's yeah. fine. Don't worry about it. I, I had a, a shop that he puts them on the lathe before he puts them on the car for all new rotors. I did that for a while. And you know how much time that saved me? Well, yeah, you don't have to do the job again. Exactly. You know, and see, also part of the business is just experience and learning from yeah. other people. Yep. So uh, speaking of the rotors and putting them on a lathe, I was working at another store for a couple of weeks just doing like a employee trade for mm-hmm. training purposes. And one of the employees told me, micrometer that rotor before you send it out. Mm-hmm. And I said, why? He's like, well, some of these have been having thicker hats on one side than the other. Mm. So oh, in order yeah. to show me, he pulls 10 rotors off the shelf and we open them. And I shit you not, one of them was twice as thick on one side than the other. Wow. But then you open the exact same part number of a different box. And it's it perfect. Perfect. Do you, do you think it's just sourced from different places or do you think there's that big of a discrepancy in the manufacturing? Uh, see, this was also like 10 years ago. So oh, I don't okay. know who was manufacturing them back then, but it was probably just a quality control lack okay. of or okay. slipping quality control. Yeah. I mean, I'll be honest in the last three years since this whole COVID thing, They've been trying to rush parts out real quick oh, yeah. because remember yeah. when we had the shortage on Chevy's Ford's, oh, yeah. like you couldn't get rotors or brakes anywhere. Uh-huh. So they're trying to get these parts out quicker. 
and this is not a fact, so don't fact check me. <laughs> this is my personal opinion. I got Google on the ready here. Um, I just feel like sometimes they are getting a little rushed at the manufacturing oh, yeah. plants. Oh, there's, there's no doubt. I mean, oh, absolutely. The, the part shortage has been a, a problem for anybody that's in this industry trying to fix a car, regardless of what area. You know, we see it a lot with the computers and the module and chip shortage. Nope. And like the Ford TCMs, there's a hundred thousand of them on back order through Ford. Nobody can get these things. Um, and so people are buying them from eBay or Amazon or whatever, and they're all junk. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, that's been, that has been really, really rough for people. And I'm sure you guys feel that too with a lot of stuff. I mean, and be careful buying parts off Amazon and eBay. I I got two Dorman window regulators for my truck. Oh yeah. Remember that one's not even a Dorman. Yeah. And it makes my window go up at like Mach 10. It's like down and I was like, boom. Yeah. I mean, it goes up and down. Yeah, it goes up and down, well, but you know. That's the thing is sometimes you can get something halfway decent off of eBay, but you're rolling the dice. Oh, or what yeah, what yeah, it's going to be, or whether it's going to be right or whatever. But yeah, that's what people are turning to. Yep. Um, but when the part's not available, you got to do what you got to yeah, do. Yeah, yep, exactly. Yeah. That's, uh, and you know, I've been seeing a lot of used modules and stuff because they can't get a new one. And, well, and there's a case to be made for a lot of them too, where a used is going to be better than a remand in some cases. Cause sometimes, especially with the modules, I feel like they just like stick them into an oven to reflow the solder. They spray paint them, <laughs> stick a, put a sticker on it and Oh, it's a remand module. It's, it's good as new. And, and so you end up with the same or different problem than the original one. So I sent in an ECM to get R and R'd once for a shop. Yeah. And I won't say the company's name, but it came back and I took it out of the box and it was full of packing peanuts. And I was like, okay, cool. Styrofoam stuck to everything. Uh-huh. I grabbed the ECM and all of a sudden I lift up and it's just a plate. <laughs> Where's the rest of this computer right now? I looked down, they didn't even attach the plate to the back of the computer. <laughs> So in my head, I'm going, I've been waiting for this for like three weeks. The shop's been waiting. What do I do? So I call the shop like, hey, I don't know how you want to handle this, but it's not like attached to the ECM anymore. (laughs) And he's like, well, just send it over. I'll look at it. And I I look down. I'm like, okay, I'll send it over. But I got to get the packing peanuts out of the inside of the ECM now. (laughs) Oh, it's so bad. I don't trust this thing. So I called the company and I was like, hey. It's part of your remanufacturing process, not securing the back plate to the ECM when you rebuild it. And she's like, what are you talking about? It should be hot glued in. And I was like, it's not nothing in. Yeah. It came in two pieces. Did you guys even fix it? Yeah. Well, at least one step was missed. Yeah. So anyway, the shop did say it didn't work. So I sent it back and they fixed it properly this time. And when it came back, it was all perfect, glued together and it worked. How many peanuts were still inside of it, though? <laughs> I wasn't going to open it and take a look, but there had to have been at least three. Better make sure that doesn't get hot in there. Yeah, yeah. The, the, <laughs> no, styrofoam's an insulator. It'll be fine. <laughs> no issues at all. Steve, how far are you on beer two? It's almost empty. Right. Well, I'm on monster three, so. Getting jacked. Yeah. It's going to be an adventure. Yeah. Yeah, so Steve, uh, you've recently taken a transition Oh, yeah. Uh, from the world of... Congratulations, man. <laughs> mechanics. I'm just kidding. <laughs> the, the world of uh, wrenching to the world of pressing buttons. Um, so much better. Working for ST-Mobile. Yeah, tell me, tell me about that, like your experience in the field. I mean, you grew up like 
gearhead, small engines, four wheelers, dirt bikes, all that stuff. And you've been wrenching and what's, what's that like? What's the transition like? Oh yeah. Like you said, I grew up working on snowmobiles, four wheelers, whatever, rebuilt my first engine at like 14. So that was fun. But no, after working on cars for what was it like 18 years as a mechanic, this is such a nice change. It is just so much different. Like I always go back to my hands don't hurt. Like there's no <laughs> holes in these hands and like it's they're so clean. So clean. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that is my favorite part. Like it just it doesn't hurt anymore. I can see all my new scars. <laughs> I mean there is that. All my scars are starting to show through, but no, it's just I don't know. It's hard to explain, but it's just, it's so much different, but I really enjoy not working on cars anymore, but still being in the automotive field. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the thing is like you spend all this time in an industry and you gain the skills and the knowledge and you know it, um, you know, all the things that we're talking about, like we understand we have the experience uh, for all these different things that go on during a day. And so it would be tough to just transition completely to a different field. Um, oh, absolutely. And for what we're doing, the mobile diag, the mobile programming, um, you know, I always said I could probably train most people to program a car that know how to use a computer, but knowing the car side of it is so huge, you know, just something as simple as like connecting up a voltage maintainer to a side post battery, right? Like if you have somebody who has zero experience with cars, like at all, that in itself could be really challenging. Let's say the uh, pin 16 on the OBD2 doesn't have power, right? That's going to be a major obstacle for somebody who knows, oh, knows yeah. nothing about Versus cars. Oh, yeah, versus check where, the cigarette lighter fuse. Yeah, yeah you've, you've been there a hundred <laughs> times. And, and so you know exactly what to do there. And so it, it really is a good way to transition. Um, yeah, I there's like certain parts about fixing cars that maybe I miss, um, but... Then I'll go, I'll, you know, I'll work on my own stuff or family stuff or oh, whatever yeah. and kind of do like a bigger job. And I'm like, oh yeah, I don't really miss this that much. <laughs> no, see for me, it's gotten me more because like I have all the four wheelers and snowmobiles and stuff at home. So, <laughs> so, um, Lots of options. like, uh, when I get home, when I was working in shops before I'd get home, I'd last thing I wanted to do was go out in the garage and like touch the yeah. four wheeler or yeah. the dirt bike or the snow, whatever. But now it's like, okay, I got to go fix the four-wheeler so I can go use it this weekend. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually excited to go get yep. it done so I can go have fun. Yeah, it, it killed my passion for actually fixing stuff because I had that. That's why I got into this field. Oh, yeah. Because I took Mr. Plumley's class and I just absolutely loved it. It was great. Mm-hmm. And then as the years went on, and yeah, you do it for, you know, eight to 10 hours a day. And then maybe you come home and do some side work and it's like all you're doing. And then eventually you get to the point where the last thing you want to do is work yeah. on a car. And, and that, that happened to me. And like, cause I used to be into like trucks, off-roading, mm-hmm. cool cars, stuff like that. And I completely lost it. I'm like, I don't want any, I, I want a car that gets me back and forth to work and that's it. And I don't even want to fix it. <laughs> I'll just let it fall apart. <laughs> yeah. Cause for me, I got burned out when I was going to century Okay. So I was working, I was going to century for eight hours a day and then I would come home and work mm-hmm. or get out of school and I would go right to work. And Don't the shop I worked at right? was open seven days a week. So, you know, I'm working 40 hours a week, going to school 40 hours a week Yeah. and everything is just focused on cars. Yeah. And then I 
took a job at a used car lot was a terrible <laughs> idea. Not saying all used cars at lots are bad, but the one I worked for wasn't great. And yeah, it was just, it just burned me out so much. I've just been kind of limping along for like the last six years and mm-hmm. I was just tired of cars. Yep. Well, thanks for your help with my transmission. Working oh no, that was fun. And then putting a transmission in a truck on the dirt floor, 20 degree weather. See, that I don't mind. Like, if I'm working <laughs> with somebody, I have well, absolutely no problem in unlimited patience. And that's the but other if, thing is, like, I'm not – I at least know what to do because I know my truck well enough to unhook the drive shaft, unhook the wires, know where they go. You know, basically, he took the passenger side. I took the driver's side. Mm-hmm. And we just laid under the damn thing and fucking each did our own side. And just mm-hmm. got it done. So, got it done. Yep. But you see, in that scenario where I'm working with a friend, mm-hmm. I have unlimited patience. But when I was working in the shop, as soon as one bolt didn't come out, I just completely lost all patience and just <laughs> angry at the world. Yeah. Like right. that top bolt on the transmission. Yeah, but I wasn't angry at that. I was able to get through you, that. You had words with it. <laughs> yeah, but we came to an agreement and it came out. Yep. <laughs> but no, when that happens at work, I just completely... I have no, I just got to the point where I had zero patience at work and I was just angry all the time. Plus the hot, the cold. Yeah. Working outside in January sucked. Working inside in the summertime where it's hot. Yeah. And we got, we got a little bit of that with the mobile side of things too. The, the weather definitely plays a factor. Um, but you know, there's ways you can control it. Obviously, exactly. The shops, like, you got hey, the cables, so like yeah. just yeah. plug in on the vehicle, sit in the van, team viewer, team stuff viewer like stuff. Because yeah, 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 I know I have a long ways to go with where I'm at now to where you're at. Well, it's here's the thing though. You're really good at electrical. I would say in comparison to the average technician. Um, oh yeah, there. and I only can speak to that because of the, all the shops that I go to all the time. And again, another reason why you're perfect for this position is because you understand that side of things. Oh yeah, and that's what I was the last couple of shops I worked at. I mean, I was the go-to guy for electrical. Uh-huh. So yeah, Steve made my I, wipers on my Ford go with a fuse and some extra wires. That was oh crazy. yeah, we wired a toggle <laughs> switch because yeah, his uh, wiper his gem module went out and his wipers didn't yeah, work. I was okay. like, well, there's the expensive way to fix it. And <laughs> There's the, well, we could have it work in 10 minutes. There's, there's the Joe way. Go you to want work, it fancy or you want it to work? Grab a $3 toggle switch, $4 fuse, and we are golden. <laughs> Stupid cab forward design. And they even parked, too. Didn't matter when oh, you yeah. turned the switch off. Oh, nice. Yeah. No different speeds, though, huh? Nope. Okay. I think we just could have got a resistor in there or something. (laughs) We just wired it to on. It's like, okay, so if we drew like four toggle switches, you'll have like different speeds, but you know. Did I have it just an on off or did I do the on off on? So like up was just one wipe or slow wipe and down was like. I think that's what we did. You had a three position switch where it was like slow and high. That's what we had. I don't know. Truck's been in the backyard for four years. It's not your truck anymore. I don't even know if you transferred the tight. Did you get a tab notification? I have no idea. I think he transferred I, the title. He says he not did. Not my problem. I, I had that happen where the title was not transferred. I sold the truck. That was to, your uh, black truck, uh, wasn't it? It was white. White? It was old Chevy. Okay. And I, sold, oh, yep. I sold it to this guy who was clearly on meth. And <laughs> um, he never transferred the title. And about six months later, I got a call from a um, uh, car. What is it called? When the car... GMB impound. In, oh, impound impound, yes. up in St. Cloud, we which is money. an hour plus north of mm-hmm. us. Hey, we got your truck here. 
and there's no keys, but you, it's, you know, building up storage fees. And you got to come get it. I'm like, I sold it. I don't have any keys. And uh, I was able to work with the DMV to get that sorted out. That was a pain. So yeah, now I take that little corner of the title and I have them fill out the information whenever See, I sell something. That is extremely it. important. So, I always have that. Yeah. That is what it is then. I got that from CJ. I don't know where I put it though. Cause I don't have a filing cabinet as an adult. <laughs> and now that I just sold my Pontiac, that was actually a last minute kind of struggle too. Cause I was like, shit, I don't have a lean card. Mm. And what last time I asked the, the bank for one, they're like, you don't have a title. So I had to get that bonded title from your mom. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, Luckily, they were able to give me that lean card, so I was able to sell my Pontiac. But man, I was so sad to watch that car go. You know how much money I put in that car? It's great. Well, I mean, and they, they're not building those 3800s anymore. Yeah, every time you lose damn one, it's shame. a sad day. This was the same thing as the, as the Cavalier, though. The body, you couldn't even jack it up unless you got to those points near the cradle or uh-huh. near the very end because anything in between was so rusted out. Yeah. Ah, so yes. jacking it up was a little more difficult, but I mean... Before I sold it, did rear brakes, front brakes, new calipers, quick struts, sway bar links. This kid got a good car. And you only dropped it off the jack like four times. Yeah, so, you it know, fell it's fine. Scissor jack, like <laughs> literally three times. Remember when we had it tied to the deck and the next day it fell? Yeah, we were, we were. So, like, it started to lean on the scissor jack. So, I grabbed like the beefy ratchet straps and run it to the deck, trying to pull it straight. And, I mean, it straightened out a little bit, no, but then, can, of course... You can use jack stands. That's okay. The thing to do. This was before we had, like, nine and a half jack stands around. <laughs> yeah, you know, we're safe at uh, the old Sherwood Street shop, so... <laughs> Speaking of the transmission in the truck, you should have seen what we did to get that up off the ground to get the tranny out from under it. There was a lot of wood blocks and jack Oh, stands. yeah, we stacked up uh, two-by-sixes, but, like, to... Dude, like building blocks. I, I go yeah. to so many shops where they're lifting cars with, they've got like three wood blocks, like on the hoist arm, lifting yeah. this vehicle mm-hmm. up. And I'm like, Oh my God, that's actually one thing I get super sketched out about is using hoists at other oh, people's shops. Absolutely. Cause you so. watch some of these things go up. Like when was the last time this thing was maintenanced? Like 40 years ago. Or like the, I remember the one shop we went to, it had that pneumatic oh, hydraulic piston shop. The thing goes up and then it just shoots oh, up. It, it, or it when you're coming really, down, he's like, you got to wiggle it a little bit. The thing just drops four feet. Yeah. Like oh, drops. Oh and man. I, so we're, and we needed to work under it. We had to get to that crankshaft sensor. And so I didn't even lift it up all the way. I'm like, no, screw that. Yeah, didn't because, want to. Cause the thing, shot up to the ceiling and bounced off of the pads when it hit it. I'm like, no. This guy's like, oh, you know, whatever. (laughs) What are you going to do? Have you seen those hoists where you bolt it into the ground and it's like a dolly? It only hoists up one side. It's like a single arm lift. No, I haven't seen that. Okay, so when I was training in Wisconsin a couple months back, we visited a shop and he showed us a video of this hoist it, you drive over it, put the arms under it, and it lifts from one side. Okay. And that's going to be really loud. Just right. <laughs> it's okay. Um, he showed us a video. He was lifting it up, and he was just kind of standing there. And all of a sudden, he heard a noise, and the whole car fell to the ground. Damn. The the main pin that goes between the hydraulic ram and the arm that lifts up. Yeah. It literally sheared. Oh and this God. was a brand new lift. He just installed it like a month ago. Yeah. And he, you just see him in the video. He just like backs up right as the car is falling. And it's like, holy crap, I would have made a mess. 
Well, I remember working at um, the the Sinclair station that we all worked at, and there was a mm-hmm. single pole hoist, and that thing was older than all of us combined. Oh yeah, and, and came out there, of the ground. Well, so it was it, we were lifting it up, and so you got the main post, and then you have the body of the hoist that's bolted to the top of the hoist. Mm-hmm. And you, I was standing across the shop. You could see. You could see light through between where the hoist body met the top of the piston because the bolts had loosened up and it was doing <laughs> one of these. And I'm like, let's get this thing down right now. And I, working at the college with the students, you know, I always told them, don't take hoist safety for granted because it's such an easy thing to do because it's so routine. You do it so often every single day and you don't really think about, oh, just kick the pad under there. And we got rusty pinch welds to deal with. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe a misoperational hoist and that, I mean, that needs to be fixed. If I was working at a shop, like that shop we were talking about, the one that shot up, like I would be like, nope, I am not working on this so you get no, this thing fixed. I am going to go find another shop to work at. Because, yeah. So. yeah, car falling off the Any hoist, that's shop. no joke, man. Oh, that's, absolutely. I mean, uh, it's just... It's dumb because I worked with a guy. He was so anal about hoist safety. Like every time he lifted a truck up, like there was a screw jack under the rear bumper. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I didn't go to that level, but at the same time, you know, it's like that's really not a bad idea to do because he'd like drop it down onto the locks, go put a screw jack underneath it. And like he was, he didn't go underneath that vehicle unless it was secure. Yeah. Yeah. And, it's it's re- it was just really good habit to get into. I mean, don't get me wrong; it's time consuming to go do all this stuff. Yeah. But at the same time, he's never going to drop a vehicle. I think we've all seen something fall off a lift at one point, though, right? Like in person, I have. I, have I saw it person. at Century. Well, Did you? Oh, yeah, man. the class below me. It was one of those dual piston pneumatic hydraulic ones. They kicked one lock in, but not the other one, and dropped it down. Uh, and the arms kicked out on the high side of a pickup truck, but it caught the body, so it didn't like hit the ground. But oh damn! I saw one in a shop where it was an SUV, an Escalade or something, and it literally fell right off a single post lift and landed on the trunk. Oh damn! Like straight up vertical. Oh, wow. So if the yeah and yeah so that was really bad and luckily the customer did not see that but I don't know what happened after that so I haven't seen one in person I've seen I showed my class videos of cars oh, falling yeah. off hoists YouTube's full of those videos as a like hey take this seriously and and well here's the other thing if it starts falling get get out of there like you watch these people they're like trying to grab the no. side of the car like no just get out of you're the way you're not going to be yeah. able to stop that coming down no but, matter how strong you are yeah that's that's an area where uh, I think a lot of people just take it for granted and I know I did as a tech too I, I remember at Firestone um, the old guy was working there and he'd left in a million cars, but he just had a big old brain fart. And so he calls me over the, the car's already up in the air and this was the dual in ground post. And so the way it worked was there's the two posts and then right underneath the post, there was kind of like a metal, um, U shaped section that extended out to where the arms would swing in and out. And so the arms were on the outside of the vehicle. But that section right above the piston, that was beneath the vehicle, right? Mm -hmm. So the two posts were kind of like in line with the pinch wells, essentially, of the vehicle, right? So he calls me over, car's already up in the air, and he's like, hey, I don't know what he was messing with, brake caliper, whatever. And he's like, hey, can you help me out with this? And I walk over, and he's so focused on what he's doing on the 
on the right front of the vehicle. I look over, the hoist arms on the right front are not even underneath the vehicle. They're just off to the side. It's balanced on the center post <laughs> on the right side. He set the left side. He never set the right side. And, and the just, tire's off, which yeah, is more balanced. Yeah, and the, and the tire's off, so the car's just kind of just hanging oh, out there on the one side. I'm like, I'm like, dude, like, he's like, oh, oh, shit. <laughs> he had no clue. Um, uh, yeah, so like, it's just so easy to take that stuff for granted. So now that you say that, I've actually done that, but this was way back when I worked at Tires Plus. So I was 18. Uh-huh. And they had just the two post lifts, mm-hmm. asymmetrical or whatever. And uh, you have all those adapters. I did it with a truck. Okay. Those are the easiest to do it, you know, because the, the frame would hump up in the back. So you had to put yeah. more adapters in the back. And yeah. then you take off the tires and you don't realize that the truck is sitting at such an angle downwards towards the front because of all the adapters. Uh-huh. That when you start taking the tires off the back, it's almost teetering a little bit off the pad because sure. the engine and all the weights in the front. Oh, yeah. I've done that before. That's that's a big one is uh, yeah. removing a major component like a transmission or something like that from a vehicle. You, you need to be aware of the change in weight once you Oh, set. yeah, where the center of gravity is going. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like if you if you drop a subframe, for instance, on, on yep. it depends on the vehicle, of course, but you have to be aware of like how is that going to change the weight distribution on this thing is it going to flip over backwards mm-hmm. um, yeah that was See, i didn't even think about that when we did my transmission but the wheels were on the vehicle and there's no way we would have gotten squished so oh no we we had the jack stands and good enough points where that yeah. that truck wasn't going anywhere you were talking about lifting the engine up and we had a jack stand at the very back of the frame with those chevys where the frame goes up yeah there was no way that was going to be the pivot point to lift the engine up because <laughs> the engine stayed in yeah no, it's just one of those things you think about. You're like, oh, if this thing falls, at least I got enough room between me and my chest to not get pinched. I, I used to work with a guy and say, well, it can only fall as far as the floor. <laughs> well, I, I mean, suppose you're not you're wrong, right, but all the, it, it, I don't want to be under there when it happens. Yeah, I'd be worried about what's between that and the floor. <laughs> yeah. Well, there was that one time my Pontiac <laughs> fell off the jack. Dude, your Pontiac <laughs> fell off the jack so all the time. many times. I'm glad we're all professional technicians. Well, like oh. when we were I living never in said Forest I Lake. <laughs> I am the furthest here from a professional. Okay. Right. Yeah, I just enough. have experience. <laughs> I remember bench pressing transmissions when we were living in Forest Lake oh in your God. garage yeah. trying to get yeah. a car. All the, just doing all the side work. All the stuff on the ground, man. Dude, it sucks I, I so bad. I cannot imagine. I cannot imagine doing that. And it wasn't even heated a garage either. We'd go out in no. the winter and drop fuel tanks and stuff like that. A couple oh. of shots of whiskey to warm up, and yeah. there we go. <laughs> I, I drove by that house yesterday. Yeah. Like, oh. Yeah. Those good memories there for sure. Yeah, I like absolutely. that. It was a good garage. I, w- I should have heated it. Um, but that line between the house and the garage was leaking. I never fixed it. Um, oh, yeah. I just shut the, I put the shut off on in the house. And Whatever that was happened it. to that old stereo you had in there? Well, that was the whole thing because I, it was awesome. I left it there. Oh, no. Well, Didn't Hank buy it from you or something? I tried to sell it to Hank and he. Shit. Couldn't come pick it up or whatever. Could put that in the But arm. I, yeah, so it's this old, old, old record player that was in the house when I bought it in 2008 out in the garage. And this thing had tubes. You plug it in, it would take like a minute to warm up and start working. <laughs> but the thing blasted music. It was, awesome. yeah. it was perfect sound. Mm-hmm. It would fill the whole garage. And we used it the whole time. 13 years I lived there out in the garage, you know, 40 below it fire up every single time. Mm-hmm. So I left it out in the garage. I'm like, you know what? It was here when I got here. I'll leave it for the next people. 
the day I left that house, it was sold. They had the keys and all that stuff. They call my realtor and they bitch to my realtor that I left stuff in the garage that he oh, didn't God. want. And um, I we went back and forth about it. And I I, did, I came back and took a shelf that I left in there. Oh, I'm sorry. I left a shelf in the garage <laughs> for you. It's something helpful. Um, but then they, they agreed to keep the radio because, I don't know, it was such a big inconvenience. It's a cool it's such a, it was, radio. It was really, it was like antique and everything. Yes, and I that's think why the, I kind of wish you still had it. Yeah, I should have I taken it, but... Well, yeah, that thing had to just weigh a ton. It, yeah, yes. right. Well, I don't think it ever moved. It just sat mm. in that same spot in the garage. I think we moved it out because there. like a wire or something was loose in yeah, the back yeah. and then yeah, yeah, see, pushed it right back. Now with all the people that have these record players and stuff nowadays, could have. Right, the vinyl thing yeah. got big, right? Yeah, because <laughs> again, so. What could have been? Yeah, yeah. Um. Okay, so being in this industry for what, yeah, 20 years or whatever that we have been, would you tell a young person to go into the automotive industry today? Honestly, I wouldn't. So here's a story. Um, last summer, I was out camping with some buddies that I used to work with at a Chrysler dealership. Yeah. And we were all kind of hanging out at the bonfire at, in the evening, you know, it's getting morning time. Well, there was like somebody had a kid there. He was like early teens mm-hmm. and he was like, I'm thinking about becoming a mechanic. And in unison, the three of us went, you fucking idiot. <laughs> do not do anything else but become a mechanic. Yeah. And then we all kind of went into it because I pointed at Jason. I was like, he is the most successful mechanic out of all of us. And he is he hauls camper trailers around now because it pays better and it's easier. Mm-hmm. And then pointed at me as like, dude, I've been burned out of working on cars for years, man. Like there are successful guys that, that work on cars, but there's a lot more stories of like where I, I feel like there's a lot more stories of me. Like you can go in, you can fix anything, but then the money's just not there. Like I would have made more money being a, an electrician mm-hmm. than I would have working on cars. And there was a time where I actually regretted becoming a mechanic, but now they don't work on cars anymore. I don't regret that anymore. It's awesome. <laughs> but no, I feel like the industry, you always see these posts online about how like everyone's complaining about wages, but that's every industry. Right. But, yeah. yeah. And then like, there's all these guys that say in this industry is in for a shift. Cause if you work at the dealership every year, the times just get cut. Like the warranty times are just getting cut and cut. Because I worked at a Chrysler dealership for three years, and every year they made it harder and harder to collect a paycheck. I worked at uh, Tires Plus for eight years, and it was the same thing. Every single year they made it harder and harder to to make money because it was hourly and commission, but then they just kept making it like the bogey harder and harder to hit to get your commission. Mm -hmm. And some shops just, they just, they make it so hard to make money that. Why do you think that is? I mean, it's a tough question to answer. Yeah, but. see, I don't, I I feel like the dealership side, it's all about money. The less they pay the tax, the more whoever owns the dealership makes. Okay. And when I was working at the dealership, the service department was always kind of like the bottom of the barrel department. Like okay. no one really cared about them. <laughs> and then the corporate store, Tires Plus, I mean, that's all about the bottom dollar. The less yeah. they pay us, the more the CEO makes. They're the happier the shareholders are. Mm-hmm. And then the independent shop. So I worked at a couple of privately or private independent shops and 
it wasn't bad. Like towards the end of the last shop I worked at, I was starting to do pretty good, but I just still wasn't happy with where I was. Do you think if, let's say the money was significantly better, would you have been as burnt out on fixing cars? Right. So like, that- like I experienced the same thing. I just, mm-hmm. it got monotonous. It got repetitive. Okay. I've done this set of ball joints a hundred times. Great. I, it, it's like almost you're on autopilot doing the stuff and your body hurts. Would money alone be enough to keep you in it? Or is there more to it than that? See, that's a really hard one to answer. Cause I really don't know. Like if I uh, was making, cause what is it? The average journeyman level mechanic in Minnesota or the average like master techie, I think it's like 70 or 80 grand a year. Uh-huh. And I was about 20 grand below that. So I don't know. It's a really uh-huh. hard question to ask. Cause I never was in that position sure. where like, Oh, here you're making just all the money and uh-huh. all you have to do is show up and do your job and yeah. not have all the comebacks. Yeah. The extra money definitely makes it easier to put up with certain things. It, it is more difficult than the opposite, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, until you're in that position, it's, it's kind of tough to answer. Because towards the end there, like my boss was talking about like, okay, we, if you sign something that you'll stay here for five years, we'll do like a five-year deal where here's, we'll invest in you, be it training or be it like just the company will invest where you'll get like some sort of profit sharing for the mm. next, but it'll all pay out in five years. Oh. And I was kind of like, that's a big commitment. That's a big commitment. And dude, yeah. I hate working on cars, so I don't know. <laughs> At this age, that's a big commitment. Yeah. Yeah. yeah for sure. So that's kind of why this, I turned that down. And in this world where cars are evolving so quickly. And that's the other thing, too. Every year, the cars get more and more complicated. Like, when I was at the Chrysler dealership, the uh, Jeep Wagoneer was going to come out the year after I quit. And the optioned-out Grand Wagoneer had 76 modules, three high-speed data lines. It's like just... And you need five. But why though? And you need five different camshaft holders to do the timing, right? <laughs> Not just one. You need five. Oh no, that's Every a heavy. There's only one different. cam. Yeah. No, that would have been the Hemi. There's only one cam in the Hemi. That's easy peasy. <laughs> but no, I just look at some of the stuff that these cars. I mean, it's all convenience, but at the same time, it's like, but why though? Yeah. Do you think? As far as pay goes, because you've worked both incentive-based, like Tires Plus, and then salary, which do you think is better? So I liked the Tires Plus pay scale where you got an hourly pay and then you got commission on top of that before they started making commission so hard. Uh Because what they were doing is you take your hourly pay, double it, subtract that from when you build out this week, and then you make commission on top of that. I feel like it should just be like, here's an hourly pay, which is basically for, there's going to be bad weeks. You're going to have weeks where you just get your butt kicked by every single thing you touch and you don't do anything. So that's where the hourly pay is nice. And then the commission pay is nice because, you know, there's also going to be weeks where you're a rock star. You mm-hmm. hit like you bill out 10 grand this week. And- See, that's what I liked about Tires Plus. But again, we're talking literally 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Our, and I was only a tire tech. So hourly pay to do tires, oil changes, basic stuff like that. Then I started learning how to do alignments from the mechanic side. They would show me this is how you do an alignment, go over the machine and then I'd start doing alignments because, you know, mechanics get busy with bigger jobs. 
or they just don't want to do the $75 alignment because it's not much commission for them. Oh, yeah, it's not for worth their time. Like a tire tech, that was easy money for me. Mm-hmm. Sure. So I was getting nice paychecks just, and I got to learn how to do more than my basic job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of like taking the next step yeah. in your career when you start doing that as loop tech. Yep. And then eventually before I parted ways with tires plus, I was learning how to do the brakes and the calipers too. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, that's well. That, that's one of the other things I've thought. You going back to that question, you know, would you tell a young person to get into the field? The tough part about it is that there's not much of a path for a person getting into this beyond no. a technician, right? Like, and that's the other thing I was looking at too. Like, you start out as a lube tech, you become a mechanic. That's it. That's it. There's no next step. Where right. if you're in like a construction trade, like an electrician, say, yep. there's always the next step where you can be an electrician, then a yeah. site supervisor, then a job site supervisor, and the just next goes step up from there. Is owning your own shop. That's a big step, though, yeah. from mechanic to owning your own shop. And, and that's one thing that I wanted to do early in my career. But let's be honest: to open your own shop. It takes, it's a big investment to open your own shop. And it's, it's a, it's like apples to oranges too, right? So like the progression of position within a career is one thing, but like it's a completely left field move to go to entrepreneurship and not that it's not beneficial, not that there's not rewards to it, but there's, it's, it's a whole different animal than just getting a different position with more money and more responsibilities. Right. But like with you with AutoZone, right? Like you have targets to hit to go to an, another position. I think even where you're at now, there's another one that you're looking forward to. Like you don't have that as a technician or a mechanic working on cars. And that's, that's the tough part for a young person to just be like, okay, I'll be a mechanic forever. Yeah. Once you make and mechanic, so, like that's it. Yeah. So let's go back to the, would you recommend someone? So we've heard Steve's side as the sure. mechanic. Yep. Now my side. Mm-hmm who the guy who didn't want to spend the money on the tools and put his body through the mechanic stuff. Mm-hmm. A lot of people made fun of me and said, Are, aren't you just retiring early? If you go into parts, only old people sell parts. Mm-hmm. No, a lot of the younger kids were getting, they don't teach automotive in high school. Not many anymore anyway. Mm-hmm. So if kids want to learn about cars, they can either go try to work in a shop, which a lot of shops don't have general technicians anymore yeah or right you know lube techs yeah i recommend an auto parts business yeah because that's what it is you get to deal with parts all days you get to deal with people's issues and find solutions and then there's plenty of places to move up to Mm -hmm. the problem is is starting out in auto parts isn't exactly lucrative in today's economy right you're gonna be working the front desk for minimum wage or whatever i don't know what they pay well it's not minimum but it's not you know Right. Super awesome. Yeah. But also, I mean, if you have, if you want to move up in a company, it is a pretty good company to move up in. Yeah. It's just, you got to be ready for the added responsibilities too. Is AutoZone nationwide? I don't know. Or is it just Midwest? No, it's nationwide. Okay. I didn't know. Mexico. I was talking to a guy up in Canada and he was telling me about, he's getting parts from Best Buy. I'm like, electronic store? But up in Canada, Best Buy is a... You know, I always completely different. Why don't we have an AutoZone in Canada? I don't know. I thought Canada was worldwide. er, (laughs) Sorry, that came out wrong. I thought thought AutoZone was worldwide. No, it's uh, US, Mexico, I want to say Puerto Rico and Brazil. 
So there happened to be a number of Canadian listeners to this podcast. The, the podcast hit number 10 on the Canadian automotive that. podcast chart. So if oh, you awesome. want to like throw some influence out there, like, hey, AutoZone. <laughs> if we put AutoZone up in Canada, I would love to go work that market. <laughs> I would. I think that would be a fun experience. I mean, I'm I'm sick of winter this year already, and going up there would be more of this. Even, yeah, yeah. But I would love to go visit I mean, our brothers up in Canada. We're basically South Canada here in Minnesota. I mean, yeah. we really we're, are. We're, we're little. We're little Canada. <laughs> there's li- there's literally a little Canada <laughs> in Minnesota. Yes. Yeah, we're no, just we're, Canada South. We're going. Actually, we're driving there shortly after this. So, um, yeah. No, it's what I found interesting is so doing the podcast. I've gotten to talk to a lot of people throughout the world. I've. Uh, interviewed people from the UK, Australia, Canada. Um, and what's really interesting is that regardless of where you're at, if you're in this industry, you're kind of facing this, some of the same challenges. And there's there's variants. Like in Australia, it's really hard for them to get service information. Like they just don't have access to it like we do. So they, they're like jealous that, of the access that we have. But like when it comes down to the literal nuts and bolts of it we are facing the same thing regardless of where you're at which i found is pretty cool and been able to bond with some people um outside of the u.s uh and give it give kind of a bigger perspective on things too which is pretty cool oh absolutely yeah yeah very interesting that's why this whole thing interests me and i thought we kind of lost track of it because it's been a while since we talked about this yeah well it's uh, like one of those things. I, I do that with a lot of people where I'm like, hey, let's do an episode together. And then I don't talk to them for six months and then make it happen. But today worked out since we're going to hang out anyways. Yeah. I mean, yeah. think about it. I, I actually thought about it on the drive here. Combined between us three, there's, considering our age, at least 50 years of automotive experience sitting right here at this table. Sure. And that doesn't include our at-home shenanigans, fixing our own stuff. Like, I could say I've been working on cars since I was 12. Sure. Oh, yeah. That's not, like, real training or experience, but still. Well, both of you started well before I did. Oh, Um, yeah. Me and you used to fix cars at my house. Well, I remember uh, one of the first, like, repairs that I did on a vehicle myself was at your house. You were helping me do uh, spark plugs on my Mustang. Yep. And that was like one of the first mechanical repairs I ever did for myself. Remember when we painted our cars? <laughs> yeah. So like, well, you had your uh, sun. No, was it a Sunfire? The red one? No, that was your Grand Am. Grand Am. Yeah. So you had the Grand oh, Am yeah. with the two four yep. little red cam. Yep. And I had the Pontiac uh, Cavalier with the two two. And mine was metallic blue and yours was red. Uh-huh. And we took parts off the engine and yeah, 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 yeah. We got the, the we got the colored wire loom too yes. to, to match the uh, yes, the, the teenager. Uh, yeah. Oh, dude. Well, that's, okay. That was those when those engines were fucking cool looking. I really had a passion for vehicles, right? Well, you remember? Go, okay, well, I remember going to your house and cutting off the exhaust and putting cherry bombs on, <laughs> on like every vehicle. I had an eighty-seven yes. Grand Marquis. Yeah, let's make this thing sound throaty. So I, I brought that up when. I I was visiting a shop the other day. <laughs> I was in Force Lake and it was a shop that's attached to Bacon's. Oh, okay. And I was like, yeah, my friend that I've known since middle school has bought cars from him since he was able to drive oh, yeah. and he even yeah. had a cool old grand marquee that had shade carpet. Yeah. And the guy busted out laughing because he's like, fucking grand marquees with shade <laughs> carpet. <laughs> 
Well, the, the, so the shag carpet was an 86 Chrysler Fifth Avenue, which was my f- first car. <laughs> it had red leather interior, a three-speed mm-hmm. automatic transmission, a 318 carbureted engine, and shag carpeting. So Remember your Buick Park Avenue Ultra? Oh, my gosh. Remember when I stuck my finger in the air? alternator? <laughs> yeah, because the, the fan was external yep. on it. The, the, the alternator fan is, like, right behind the belt. And when it's running, it's like you can barely see it. Yeah. And think, <laughs> I was like, what was that noise? And all of a sudden my finger hurt real bad. I was like, oh my God, I just knocked a couple fan blades off. I'm so glad that that was plastic and not a metal external fan. I would have not a finger right now. <laughs> oh, dude, that 94 Buick Park Avenue Ultra with a supercharger on it. I would go buy that car right now if it was for sale. Ah, yes. The old 3800 supercharged. Such a nice Best engine GM ever made. That's the thing. Like, you can be nostalgic about a car, which I definitely am, but... Like that was such a badass engine for the reliability, the yep. power, the fuel economy. I mean, it it had it all. Like I, I think they intentionally make cars nowadays the planned obsolescence that they put into like phones and technology. The same thing mm-hmm. with cars now. It's all shit. Well, like you name a really good reliable vehicle in the last ten years. I have trouble Kia. doing that when people ask me. No, they have, their engines <laughs> blow up. I know. I they know. literally yeah. just since combust tw- since yeah. twenty eleven. Almost ninety percent of Kia engines have yeah. been under recall since twenty eleven. Yeah, the, the rod bearings go on them. They have like yeah. a procedure on how to track the rod bearings for being yeah. smoked after. 50,000 miles they have codes they have codes that set for their engines blowing up yeah so that's one thing i always go back to everyone (laughs) asks me like what car should i buy i go buy something from the 90s Mm -hmm. go buy a 90s honda the thing will outlive time itself exactly everybody's like oh ev whatever go buy a 90s honda civic you're you're all set you're getting 38 miles to the gallon the Mm -hmm. thing's super cheap to fix even my grand prix it was an 06 series 3 3 Yep. Non-supercharged. And it was California emissions. I hated that so much, but whatever, had remote start. I sold that car just over 220,000 miles, and it still gets 35 miles per gallon yeah. on the freeway. Yeah. My last Buick had just about 300. And I don't have five cams or four cams or eight cams or BVT. You know, it just went. You just had to replace the power steering line every year. Yeah. (laughs) It was six feet long and it only had to go three feet. See, that's the thing. I had that Grand Prix. What was that? Like late 90s, early 2000s Grand Prix with a supercharged 3.8. That was one of the best vehicles I ever owned. I still kick myself for selling super that thing. Super rusty, but yeah, super Dude, I paid $100 for this car, put four <laughs> tires and four struts on it, and drove it for a year. I should have held on to it because that was just the coolest car. That That is one of the hidden benefits to being a technician that I would tell my students about. It's like, okay, look at your salary. Sure, okay, that's great. But... Also consider how much money that you're going to be able to save yourself by not having a car payment and being able to fix your car yourself. And over and the years, the deals you run into on yes, cars. Yes. Oh, a hundred bucks. Yeah. Well, and there have been many cars where I bought for 500 bucks and it's mm-hmm. been a perfectly good vehicle. For yeah. Me. me and Steve were just talking the way here yesterday. I, I was working for Slake again. I found this shop. I'm like, Oh, he doesn't have any delivery. So he must be a walk-in. It was the address to a buddy of his who I bought my Silverado from. Mm. And it was, Two years ago now that I bought it, literally January, two years ago, 375 bucks for an 01 Silverado with four-wheel drive, and it runs and drives. Yeah, he nice. drove it home. Nice. Drove it home. Yep. Slight oh. front-end damage. Slight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're, they're not perfect, but 
Uh, that Dodge I have out there, I bought for three grand, and it's from California. It's zero rust on it. It just needed the axle replaced. And easy. I mean, it's a super, super nice truck. I could flip it for 10 grand easy right now if I wanted to, but it's a super nice truck I got for a good deal. And it's rust-free. Yeah, it's rust-free. Um, but the, you can... Uh, you can work those deals and save yourself a lot of money. Oh, yeah. And it's, it's a hidden value to knowing this stuff. Mm-hmm. And I Absolutely. stuck about four grand into that truck. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I got it for three seventy five, but now it's got a really good reman transmission installed and it's still running great. Yeah. Um, it's got all new brake lines, new, uh, you know, those dormant, uh, Fuel lines. Oh, the flexible oh, ones. Yep. Yeah, the nylon yep. flexible yep. metal ones. Stainless. Sure. Mm-hmm. It's got those in there. It's yeah. If you're not up in the rust belt, you don't understand yeah. why that's so awesome. But yeah, but um, did all the brakes complete everything? Four wheel drive encoder, motor, transmission, all the fluids. Put a flatbed on it. Awesome. Wisconsin flatbed. Not just the flatbed, but a. Green treated flatbed. <laughs> Green treated flatbed. Yes, it's made out of wood. Yes, it is a wooden, handmade flatbed. Gu- guaranteed not to rust ever. I cut wheel wells into it that are perfectly symmetrical, and it's got sequential turn signal LEDs, so you know which way I'm going because it tells you. Take that Mustang. <laughs> Well, BMW drivers, they're also jealous. They do not use indicators. That's what Fact. I'm saying. <laughs> I hope you're listening, Colin. <laughs> well, that's so that's the other thing is why I, I probably would encourage a young person. Obviously, I got a bias and I was in coll- the college. Yeah, you were an instructor for, for a while. while. But the other thing that you get from this is some transferable skills and you can fix a lot more stuff than just cars, right? In your home, the odds are if you're a mechanic, you can probably take care of a lot of stuff in your house too, rather than oh, calling yeah. somebody else. And I know all of us have done that over the years. Like, okay, your furnace goes out and then you figure out, okay, the, the flame sensor is mm-hmm. works this way and the, the heater elements, just a resistor and you can check, you know, you can do all the basic checks, right. And figure yeah. this stuff out in the same way that you do fix the car. And so I think because the car is a conglomeration of so many different areas, electrical, mechanical, plumbing, welding, so on and so forth, that all of a sudden you can take these things to other areas too. And that's, that's a benefit that not every career path has, right? Mm-hmm. If oh, you're absolutely. Um, an accountant, like you can, only do not that that's not transferable skills, but like you're pretty narrow you're really focus good at on math what you can do. Yeah, it's not gonna you're not gonna be able to fix your stuff. You're not gonna be able mm-hmm. to you know that that's one area of being in a trade like this. I think is really beneficial to people. Yeah, and part of that goes up to the house I grew up in. Like my dad was in the <laughs> trade, so mm-hmm. I mean he was an electrician, but same yeah. thing. I just yeah. view that as all the trades. Like sure. oh, automotive, you have more skills in everything because what it's electrical, plumbing, hydraulics. And, yep, yep. But but that's also the challenge is if you're going to get into it, you have to you have to master, master all at all of those yeah. different areas. Well, and Steve's so good at electrical and diagnostics that he found out his furnace had a very flawed design when he bought the house. That circuit board. Oh yeah, so I always had problems One with regular my furnace. Would have known that right, without right. having that experience. Yeah, because sure. it was constantly getting wet. But like you said, it was a poor design. Who could have figured that out? <laughs> well, okay. So what? 
I called the furnace repair man. He's like, oh yeah, ten grand. I'll give you a new furnace and AC unit. And I yeah. was like, okay, I'm going to hold off on that. So I spent three grand, got a new furnace and AC unit and a coil, and installed it all myself. I'm yeah. To admit that on the radio. Oh, it doesn't matter. I'm the homeowner. I can yeah, install anything I want in that house. Yep. And I'm licensed to I mean, handle refrigerant, so that's okay, too. <laughs> the problem is, though, is they didn't tell me when they were firing up the furnace for the first time and let me get escaped from the house and down the road a little ways with the with the cat yeah. or something, you know? Oh, uh, Dude, I, I did that at my old house before I sold it. I put it in a furnace. And, yeah, when you fire that thing up for the first time, holy shit, yeah. It was like visible yeah. smoke in the well, house. And, no, we fired it up for like 10 seconds. It basically, as soon as the flame started, we shut it off. I was like, all right, furnace works. We're good this winter. And so, you know, Steve can't smell so good. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> he's, got a, he's got his medical condition. Uh, CJ can't smell so good because he's got allergies like me. Okay. So he's always stuffed up. I take allergy medicine daily because five animals in the house I'm allergic to. So I smelt that furnace fire up and I freaked out. (laughs) No warning. Cool. Well, I appreciate you guys joining me on the show here. Um, That was fun, and uh, it's been fun. Yeah, we're gonna go. We're gonna go have some more fun. Go see Bert Kreischer. So it should be a good time. Mike said he's gonna have his shirt off the whole time. I believe it. Hope he does. All right, that's going to do it for this week's episode. Big thank you to Joe and Steve for joining me on the show this week. Really enjoyed it. Hopefully you did as well. I want to say thank you to everybody listening and all the feedback that I've gotten on the show. Always appreciate that. Also, just another reminder, if you're at Vision this week, 2023 in Kansas City, come find me, come say hi, shoot me a message on Facebook, maybe we'll meet up. But other than that, let's get out there and start fixing the world one car at a time.